will be um, some of you who come on New Heights time didn't see the video at the beginning, but um, we will uh, be doing something called the Advent Conspiracy, and uh, you'll be hearing more about that uh, next week and in the weeks to come. Um, but today, uh, the woman at the well, uh, Jenna and I live pretty close to the football stadium uh, here in Alamo Heights, and uh, just a couple blocks away, and we always get to hear the games. In fact, when we moved in to our, uh, to our house uh, summer before last, uh, the neighbor next door told me, he goes, it's a great neighborhood. Uh, the only problem is during the fall, you always hear the band and all the stuff going from the stadium. And I was like, I'm excited. That's cool. I'm ex- I mean, you are an old, bitter man now. I mean, come on. Um, and uh, it's not here. No. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> the one Sunday he shows up, that'd be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> hey, how you doing, sir? See you at home. Um, so, you know, he, he says this to us, and Jen and I are kind of looking forward to it. So the first season, last, last year, last season, we, we loved it. We'd sit out. We have a little swing on our front porch, and we'd sit out after the kids were in bed and listen to uh, Rick Shaw, the voice of Alamo Heights. Um, and, uh, you know, because you can hear Rick pretty much clearly, really, does he need a microphone? Those of you that know Rick, he doesn't. But you can hear him perfectly clear um, from just a few blocks away. And, and so last night, or last Friday night, uh, you know, it was uh, the first game of the playoffs, uh, if you don't know this, if you're a Mac person, sorry, bear with me, uh, but they uh, they won, and but we, we we walk over there, we loaded the kids up in the stroller, and uh, and we walk over and, and just stood outside the gate and uh, and saw different people coming and going and, and watched some of the game, because Corbin just loves football. He just loves it. He eats it up. It's okay if he's not a football player when he grows up, but we all know he's going to be. Um, so, you know, we go over there, and Corbin's just loving it. He's on my shoulders, and, you know, here comes a, this Corbin and Mary Barker walk by with their kid, and they'd been in the game. And then here comes uh, Mr. Hodge and, and Dr. Robinson walking down the, the sidewalk, and they're going into the game. And Jenna's like, you know, that's kind of weird, isn't it, that they're coming to the game? And I was like, well, no, not really. She said, well, did they go to school here? And I was like, no, actually, I don't think either of them went to Alamo Heights, did they? No, did okay. One of them did, but it, I was like, but you know, I said when I lived in Louisiana and we were in Ruston, Louisiana. Ruston, Louisiana is a tiny little town in between Shreveport and Monroe, and Louisiana Tech's there. Outside of that, not much else. And uh, so in Ruston, Louisiana, uh, high school football was what you did. I mean, that was it. That is all that existed in Louisiana. Ruston, Louisiana was high school football and hunting. Um, and so I, I said, you know, during football season, the entire town would just be vacant. At the stadium, everybody, everybody went to the games. Even if you were 80 years old, had never had a child that went through Ruston High School, you were at that game. Everybody was. During uh, opening weekend of hunting season, you would see guys in camo because they came in from their leases, went to the game, and then went right back out to their leases. It was the community event. Everyone gathered at the game. You knew everybody there. I mean, it was the perfect time to rob Ruston Blind. But you knew everyone there. And I said, it's that small community. I said, said, that's kind of where we are. You know, we're in the midst of a much larger city. But in Alamo Heights, in this community, we're kind of in that little bubble. Everybody knows everybody. You have these guys who who don't have kids in high school anymore going to the game. And I said, you know, one day I'm going to be doing that too, I hope. You know, hopefully next year Corbin will be able to sit through a game and he and I can walk up and watch the games together and then 
come home and, uh, you know, he can be writing down the plays and learning and things like that. He can be in the band if he wants to be. Um, but, you know, I, I said, that's just what a, a community is. And I said, and, and there's, you know, there's greatness to that. There's a lot of good things that come from that. But if you get too focused on that one community, some bad stuff can happen as well. One of the jokes I have with uh, some of my friends that uh, used to live out in Stone Oak area is um, I always would make sure that my passport was valid when I would go visit them. Um, you know, because you can cross one loop, but crossing two loops is just ridiculous for those of us that live in 09. You want me to go where? Is that in San Antonio? Really? Wow. Um, do I need any shots? To go? Okay. Uh, you know, because we get so focused on ourselves, and, and there can become kind of a negative part of that if you become so insular and so looking inward instead of looking outward. There is good stuff, sure, but you know, sometimes you can build these barriers. And so there's my friends from, yeah, did you all get your passports checked when you came in? Um, when, you, when you go out there, you can have these barriers and these walls, and then you can begin to think things about people that aren't like you. Well, you don't come from 09, really. Oh, you're a 1-2 person. <gasps> you're a 2-3. Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, and you, you start thinking these things. And it's kind of trivial and, and sounds kind of funny, but then... Really, we do this in a lot of different ways, don't we? We we begin to put a shell on someone. We put a cover on them and say, you are this type of person. And so I will deal with you in a certain way because you are this type of person. You know, on a, on a minor scale, it's, well, you're not from our community, so you're a little different. But on a major scale, it's, you have black skin. You don't look like me. You have lighter skin. You have whatever it is. You drive a different kind of car than I drive. You don't have a job. You do, And we start putting these scenarios in people's lives, and then we begin to react to them in a different way, in a way really that the world tells us how to react, not necessarily what Christ does. The church is no different, really. We... We have set up ourselves these beautiful walls, and a lot of times, if you're inside our walls, we love you. But if you're not inside our walls, uh, I, I grew up in the uh, part of my growing up was in the Northeast, and uh, we were in the Episcopal Church at the time. And in the Northeast, the Episcopal Church has been there for a while. And so there's these beautiful cathedrals and buildings that have been around for hundreds of years. And, and one of the things that we would always do is drive for hours on a Sunday morning to go see a church. That made church fun. <laughs> Let's load up kids. We're going to drive for two hours to go sit in an old building and listen to some old guy and then drive two hours home. Wow, Jesus is so fun. Thanks. Um, totally different now with my family. But so we, uh, you know, we go, and I remember one Christmas Eve, we drove to this church that my mom had heard about, and it was, it was a Norman Rockwall picture of a little white church on a hill, um, this this beautiful little church, and you go in and they have the lights and it's decorated so wonderfully and, and beautifully. And um, we always went to, grew up going to midnight mass. Um, we don't have that here. We have an eleven o'clock service, but I always grew up going to midnight. That's when it started. Was at midnight and uh, forever. Uh, and so we went to this midnight mass uh, on Christmas Eve and and go into this church and. 
And the first thing you notice when you walk into this little church is um, not the pews, but the boxes. The worship boxes, uh, if you will. It was like sweets. Um, can I see your tickets? Oh, I'm in box number three. Um, really, it was in beautiful wood. I, I remember it very vividly, even though I was uh, probably in fourth grade. Um, you walk up down the aisle and then you find a little box and you open the little door to your box and you go in and you shut the door behind you. Um, this is my worship box. This is my dance space. 30 dancing. Nobody. Come on. Um, so there's one. Uh, yeah. So, you know, they were essentially saying you come in to church together, but then you separate yourselves from one another and have your experience with God. You become a little just island unto yourself, and and really on some of uh, on most of the boxes were these little plaques with family names. You know, this is the Smith's family's box. They've been coming to this box for forty years. You don't sit in the Smith family box unless you're part of the Smith family. Which you know made us visitors. <laughs> it's like, okay, which one is open? Um, where can we sit? And I mean, it's. You essentially just keep other people out. And while that was something that was really cool to a fourth grader, it's like, this is awesome. We got our own private box. As I look back on it now, I, I was thinking, what kind of message is that sending? I mean, in, in, a, in a community, in a church where we're supposed to be wide open arms, come, bring everyone to us and let us share the love of Christ with you, just not in my box. You have your own place. We set up so many things in our world, in our society like this, how we deal with different types of people. As Daryl said, we just got back from Costa Rica a couple of us did. And we went down there for a, a mission scouting trip. We were going to be sending teams down next year. Um, but before we did that, we wanted to have somebody on the ground and to see what it was like and to visit the projects and different things like that. And, and so Daryl, uh, myself, and Carrie Spielhagen, our missions coordinator, um, were the ones who were uh, fortunate enough to go. And so we, we go down to Costa Rica, and I'd never, none of us, actually Carrie had been there, but uh, Daryl and I had never been to Costa Rica, and we, we fly in, and it's kind of a, a surreal thing. We're walking off the plane into the to the airport and just looking for a sign that says, uh, you know, that we're supposed to be with that guy. And, um, you know, when you go to a third-world country, I know Costa Rica is a little different because there's heavy tourism and all kinds of stuff. It's a little nerve-wracking when you walk into a country. You don't speak the language. You stand out way stand out. I mean, we got a 6'6 dude with red hair who's as white as white can be. Um, and then Carrie Spielhagen, who has long bleach blonde. It's not bleach, it's natural blonde. But long, <clears throat> I hear about that later. Long, really blonde hair. You know, I, I'm thinking, you know, I have dark features in a, in a beard and everything. They'll look to them first. So if there's danger, I can get away. Um, plus, I'm definitely faster than Carrie. And, uh, you know, you don't have to be the fastest guy, just not the slowest. Um, so we're walking out, and it's a, it's a different experience. And we go into this area called uh, Los Guido. Um, it was a couple of days later we go into Los Guido. And those were the, the images that you saw behind the song. And it was um, an amazing experience going into this community. We had been told by our guide, the, the missionary down there, Charlie, 
um, you don't want to be in San Jose. San Jose is too dangerous now. It's way too dangerous. You don't want to be, you really don't want to be in Los Quito. Where are we going today, Charlie? Los Quito. <laughs> wow. Outstanding. Um, four white people driving into an area that you're not supposed to be in. Excellent. Three of us don't speak a lick of Spanish. Um, baño? Donde esta el baño? Um, so we, we drive in, and uh, some of the footage was a little jittery from a car window because it was, seriously, I was filming it like this, just barely above the window, and just because he said, don't do that, um, which, of course, I'm not really going to listen to him that much. But And uh, at one point, I mean, Daryl kept saying, should we roll up the windows now? Should we roll up the window? How about now? And uh, we were having the, you know, vac- vacation moment. Roll them up, kids. Uh, so we were going into this area, and, and then we, we make it through this shanty town, and we get to um, the church there, the Methodist church, which is called Iglesia de Fe, Church of Faith, uh, the, uh, the Evangelical Methodist Church of Faith. And, and we go in, and, and uh, it, we have to get through the huge gate that they have surrounding um, the church. And we drive, they let us in, we drive in, and um, we're still all a little bit you know, skittish. Charlie's not. He's been there many times. They know Charlie. People on the street were, you know, saying hi to Charlie. Um, but we go in and, um, you know, still a little bit nervous, but starting to calm down. And there's a school right next door. You can hear the kids just going nuts. And, uh, and he introduces us to the pastor. And the guy's name is Pastor Edgar. And I heard his voice before I saw him because he's not a very tall man. Um, he's you know, a, a big guy, but not that tall, and he's got one of the deepest voices. He's the uh, Costa Rican uh, Barry White, if you will. He's like, buenos dias. Uh, I can't even, can't even really do it. And uh, he comes around the corner and just this incredibly wonderful man, and he, and he takes us into this, this table, and he sits us down, and he starts telling the story of how he got there. And I'm going to tell you that story, but before I do it, I want to tell you a story of, uh, of Jesus and an experience he had with a woman at the well. This is uh, John chapter 4. So Jesus hears this stuff uh, the Pharisees are saying. And so uh, verse 3 is where I'm going to jump to. So he left Judea to return to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, let me tell you that the, these two sentences right here, these two verses. Uh, so he left Judea to return to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. This is a bigger deal than you would realize just reading through the scriptures. A little backstory here. Um, Jesus belonged to a community. The community was the Jewish community. He was a Jew. And the Jews were pretty particular about certain things you did and certain things you don't do. One of the things that you don't do is you don't go through Samaria. Plain and simple. On a map, you would have... um, Judea at the bottom, Samaria, and then Galilee at the top with the Jordan River running along the side. And a Jew, if he wanted to go from Galilee to Judea or the other way, would first cross over the Jordan River, then make the travels, and then cross back over the Jordan River to get into Galilee or Judea, whichever direction they were going. They would do everything they could not to go through Samaria. While it would have been a shorter route to go through Samaria, that's not the way they would have gone. The reason is they didn't really like the Samaritans. They had a little issue with them. In fact, it was kind of almost a violent relationship at time between 
the Jews and the Samaritans. Now, the Samaritans were actually part Jewish. See, 700 years about before Jesus was having this encounter with this woman um, was the exile, the Babylonian exile, when uh, Babylon came over and conquered uh, the Israel people and took most of them away. They left some of them behind. And then Babylon inserted people groups from different conquered regions. Now, the Jews that were left behind began to, over this course of 70 years, began to intermarry. They began to marry people outside of the Jewish faith. They began to take on some religious practices of those religions that were outside of Judaism. And so once the the exile was over, the Jews come back. The Jews see what happened to the Samaritans. They get angry with them and kick them out. They kick them out of Jerusalem. They kick them out of Galilee, of Judea. They get them out because they are not worth anything anymore. They're half-breeds. They believe in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, nothing else. Some of it, but they intertwine other things. And they had different practices. And so the Jews couldn't tolerate that. And there became this intense relationship between them. So a Jew never would have stooped to the point of walking through Samaria because you don't want to have to encounter a Samaritan. So here are these verses. So he left Judea to return to Galilee. He crossed over the Jordan. No. It says he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. They're saying he's Jesus. He could do whatever he wanted to. He could have walked across the Jordan River. But no. In John, there's a big theme of Jesus saying, I do what my father tells me to do. My ministry is because my father tells me to do these things. So clearly, because it's said this way, God said to Jesus, the Father said to the Son, go this way, go through Samaria. And so Jesus finds himself going through Samaria. Verse 5, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. This should tell you something about the Samaritan woman. She's coming to get water at the worst possible time of day. It's the hottest part of the day in the desert. She comes to get water. Now that tells you that more than likely she was not a desirable woman to be around. She was probably an outcast. Because every other woman or person who came to get water did so earlier in the day or much later in the day. But she specifically chose a time when no one else would be there. And yet, there she finds this Jew. Jesus sitting by the well, and, and he asks her, please, or he says to her, please give me a drink. A Jew speaking to a Samaritan. It never happened. They did everything they could not to. They would cross a river to travel a much longer distance so that they wouldn't have to speak to a Samaritan. And yet here is Jesus speaking to this woman, this outcast in her own society. Please give me a drink. Also, a Jewish man never would have spoken to a woman by themselves. It wouldn't have happened. So he's breaking so many. He's in this community, and the community says, you must deal with these people this way. And he is just saying, no, no, I don't have to deal with these people this way. So he says, please 
give me a drink. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who I am, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this is a very deep well. Where would you get this living water? And besides, are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his cattle enjoyed? Jesus replied, people soon become thirsty again after drinking this water. But the water I give them takes away thirst altogether. It becomes a perpetual spring within, within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me some of that water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to haul the water. There's a lot of deepness in what she says there. And Jesus says, go and get your husband. He says, I don't have a husband. You're right, you don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. Bam. Jesus goes out of his way to sit on this well for this woman who comes, an outcast from her own society, and he breaks all social barriers to reach a hand out to her. To say, I know who you are. I know what you've done. I know what your past looks like. Let me give you something that's going to break you free from all of that. I'm in this close-knit, tight community that tells me my life is to be lived this way, yet I'm going to step out of it so that you can experience the love of God. Pastor Edgar had a vision for feeding children. He was a pastor in a church um, outside of uh, San Jose. And he went to his church body and he said, I have this vision. We have a lot of children in our community that, that need help. We have a good bit of land right here. We could build a building that would give classrooms so that kids could come during the day while their parents are at work, while their moms are at work, so that their moms can then go and have some sort of income. We can also set up a feeding program because most of these kids maybe have one meal a day if they're lucky. We can do this. God, give me this vision to do these things. And the church said, God gave us a vision for a parking lot and kicked him out of the church. They ran his family out. And the way the Methodist church works, both here and there, a lot of times, unfortunately, is if something like that occurs... Pastor Edgar now has a little mark by his name. And when the time comes for a reappointment, when he gets sent to another church, he's not going to the cream of the crop. So God gave him this vision. He explains it to his church. His church kicks him out. The bishop reappoints him to Los Guido, to Iglesia de Fe, a little church that had held on to a pastor for nine months at the most. The previous pastors come in and go out, come in and go out. It's a dangerous area. It's a poor area. It's a dirty area. No one wants to be there. No one wants to live there. It's Samaria. Nobody wants to go in and associate with these people. The bishop sends Pastor Edgar, his wife, and his three kids there. 
He has the vision. We need to help the children. We need to offer a feeding program. And so he begins to walk out on the streets, streets of Los Guido with his wife. And he walks down in this area they call the hole for appropriate reasons. And out from this one little shack come these two children. And both of them had some sort of infection going on in their eye. But they scream out with arms wide, El Pastor, El Pastor, and run and hug him. He said, nobody knew who I was. We had just gotten here. And these two kids run out to him. And he begins to talk to him, and he asks them when if they had anything to eat, and they tell him that it's been a while. He's like, God is telling me this is the place to do it. There's a need here. I have a vision from God. Let's put these things together and do some work. And he goes back to his church, and he tells the church, he says, look, we need to start a feeding program here. Here's the vision, all these things. They say, no. You can do it, but we're not going to help you. So on his $230 a month salary for his family of five, he begins to feed 20 children. He brings them in and he feeds them uh, frijoles, arroz, and macaroni. Rice, beans, and macaroni. He says, then we fed them macaroni, arroz, and frijoles. He said, that's all we had. He said, that's what we were eating. That's all we could give him because that's all we had. And he was feeding these 20 kids. And at one point, um, the gangs that are there are pretty strong and pretty prevalent. Uh, took his three children hostage and held them at knife point and told Pastor Edgar, if you mess with our business, we will kill your children. And so he said, okay. <laughs> I'm not going to mess with your business. I'm just going to feed these children. And so they let him go and and said, we'll be watching you. This is back in about 2000. It's 2009. He has 85 children that he feeds now. Two meals a day, which are the only two meals they get during the day. Monday through Friday, the only meals they get during the week. Some of the shots you saw there was, was Carrie and Daryl feeding the kids. They come in, and they're so happy, and they're so thankful, and, and they run in. And it's just a joy to see these kids sit down, and, and uh, they had meat this time. They had a little bit more food than, than what he used to give them. Um, but it's amazing to see what happened when this guy who was told by all the pastors that had been there before, the bishop, you know, this is an appointment basically as a punishment for what you did at the last church. So you'll suffer here like everybody else does, but we'll rotate you through in in about a year or so. He says, you know what? I'm going to sit at the well and I'm going to ask the woman if she needs a drink. I'm going to go into this area that the world tells me I need to function one way in, and I'm going to function on a completely different level because God has moved me into this area. Incidentally, a few months ago, um, there was a man who was who was drunk and just belligerent outside the walls of the church, and he was banging on the walls and throwing stuff and cursing and all kinds of stuff. Um, word got through the community that this was occurring. A couple of guys from one of the local gangs came up and escorted the gentleman away. 
The thing is that nobody messes with that church anymore. Once everyone saw what the church was doing, that the church was there to help the community and to feed the people that don't have food, thoughts began to change a little bit about Pastor Edgar and what he was doing. It's amazing to see as we walked through the streets of Los Guido behind this man, 6'6", Daryl, clueless blonde Carrie who's just walking around holding this little boy's hand. And I'm walking back, you know, still thinking in my mind I can outrun Carrie. Walking behind this guy, I was thinking, this dude is the boss of this neighborhood. There may be gangs. I'm sure we shook hands with a couple of guys, and I'm sure they were gang members. And I'm sure on any other given day, had we been walking there by ourselves, we wouldn't have been walking out of there. But following behind this man of God who said, I'm going to sit at that well and go where people in society tell me I cannot go. And I'm going to share the love of Christ with these people. Some of the kids that have been through the, the feeding program now who were destined to be in gangs are members of the church, are working in the wood shop that they have there, making little crosses to sell to turistas. It was amazing to see the way that God was moving in this area in the midst of just utter chaos to see this point of light. And it was because somebody... Like Pastor Edgar said, I'm not going to do what the world tells me to do. I don't know how many times I, I have an opportunity to sit at a well and yet I don't say a word. I have an opportunity to interact with somebody. And you know what? A lot of times it's even in this community. And yet for whatever reason, I let that social barrier or that whatever barrier is there prevent me from saying, hey, can I give you a drink? Let's all have the faith of that little bitty church in Los And begin to remove these barriers and to see the example of Christ going into an area where he was told not to go. Over the next few months, you will be hearing more about Costa Rica and our efforts down there and what we will be doing. Um, all three of us came back just completely excited about the opportunities down there about the things that we can do. and I mean, there's a larger discussion of, you know what, there's a lot that we can do in San Antonio. And you're right, there is. Um, but there's also benefit in international missions. And so I, what I would love for you to do is, is just pray about it over the next many months. Our, our trip will be in June, uh, either the first or second week of June. Just pray about whether or not God's calling you to sit at the well. Maybe it's not even in Costa Rica that he's asking you to sit down. Maybe it's, maybe it's right here. Just pray about that. Let God move through you so that you, you too may experience that, that barrier-breaking power of God that Pastor Edgar did and that Christ did. Because i got to tell you, on those moments when you get to sit at the well and you get to experience Christ and God moving, there is nothing, nothing as powerful as that. Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the gift of life that you breathe into us each and every day. God, we thank you that you had the courage 
to go a way that the world told you not to go. To sit and to speak with someone that society and the world told you not to speak with. God, we thank you that you have given us opportunities all throughout our life to sit at a well and to reach out to someone who isn't like us. Lord, help us to find those moments and to seize them and to allow you to work through us that we might be your hands and your feet, that we might be your love and mercy and peace to this world. We thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll see you next week for the conclusion of John 4. And if you remember, leave your chairs. Thanks. Thanks.